You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. We began this series talking about um, how Jesus, about the time you get into John chapter 6, is kind of really popular with the crowd. They've been seeing all the miracles, all the signs, uh, you know, his reputation had been growing, and at that point in time, the crowds were kind of really pumped up wanting to follow him, but maybe for the wrong reason, some of them. Some of the same ones probably a little bit later would be in a crowd yelling, crucify him. But early on, when the spectacle and everything was taking place of of, of all the miracles and everything that Jesus was doing. A lot of people were just buying into that and following him for that reason. One of the stories that you're familiar with that I've already alluded to when we began the series was one day when a large crowd was gathered around and they had been there for some time and the day was getting late and the people were hungry and Jesus was concerned about the crowd being hungry and uh, you know, told his disciples to do something to feed them, and the disciples were kind of looking at each other and, you know, maybe pulling their empty pockets out and saying, how are we going to do this? One of his disciples, Philip, more or less said that, you know, this size crowd that we have here, it would take eight months' salary in order for us to be able to feed this number of people that are there. There's another disciple by the name of Andrew that had found this young boy out in the crowd that had a few loaves and some fish. And he comes to Jesus with those loaves and fish. I've always wondered before if maybe he did not come with some anticipation. I don't think he was necessarily coming to Jesus and saying, well, Jesus, this is all we've got. We can't feed the crowd. I think he had seen enough already to this point of some miracles that he brings these loaves and these fish up to Jesus, expecting to see something happen, and Jesus did not disappoint them. Because he took those few loaves and fish, and he pretty much set up a buffet bar, and he, he fed the whole crowd. Now, right after that, it's kind of late, so the crowd decides to hang out for the night. They wake up in the morning, they start looking for Jesus. Maybe like, where's breakfast at, you know? And yet they can't find him anywhere. <coughs> then they discover that he had gone across the sea away from them. So they, at this point in time, kind of look like they're committed. Maybe look like they really want to be with Jesus. A bunch of committed fans, so they make their way over to where Jesus was at. And they begin to ask Jesus, you know, why have you come over here? By the time they get there, they'd already missed the chance for any breakfast, and now they're probably really hungry and starving because it would be up close to lunchtime by the time they could make the trip that distance and get on the other side of the lake themselves. And maybe they came up looking for their AKA meal ticket, Jesus Christ. Instead of really being committed fans, what they were interested in was this. What can I get out of the deal? They were looking for another lunch, another miracle, another sign. Jesus told them this in John 6. Look at the verses. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. More or less what Jesus does is look at this crowd of fans that's following him around 
And he tells them, the only reason you're hanging out with me, the only reason you're following me, is because of your own selfish desires. And he's letting them know that's the wrong reason, that's the wrong motive, because your selfish desires will not last. Instead, you need to seek what God's desire is for you. And by seeking what God's desire is for you, you have something that lasts, something that is eternal. They're looking for the physical. They're looking for more food. Jesus wants them to get the spiritual. They're interested in seeking out something that's just going to last for a little while, something that's temporal. Jesus wants them to have an eternal relationship with Him and with the Father. And all they kind of have bought into is just the miracles and the food, and that's why they're following Him. And Jesus starts to have what we talked about at the first of this series, a DTR talk, which is to define the relationship and kind of challenge them to see where the crowd really was at. To let them know that it was about more than just following him to see the miracles. It was about more than just following him to you know, get more food or whatever the case is. Jesus starts to challenge them to clearly define what their relationship with him would be. In other words, would they still be fans when the drive-in closed? And they couldn't just pull up at the Jesus drive-in and get their next meal. So in verse 35, Jesus shut the drive-thru down, the buffet bar down, and instead of offering them food, Jesus offers them himself. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall Never thirst. Basically, Jesus tells this crowd that's seeking a meal, that's not what will last. I'm what will last in your life, and I'm offering you myself, my divine self, as the bread of life. He issues a challenge to them, and more or less it boils down to this question. He's wanting the crowd to understand that he's enough, and that's what we're talking about today. Is Jesus enough? I mean, if, if, if all we had was Jesus, we've talked about this some through the summer, you know, in some different messages and everything, but I mean, if, you know, if the padded seats were stripped away and the sound system were stripped away and the air condition or the heat, you know, this time of year was stripped away and, and the band was not there and the video stuff was not available and, and all that, if all we had was Jesus... Would that be enough? That's kind of the issue that's being put before this crowd. As he offers himself as a bread of life. So let's, let's talk about that this morning. Is Jesus enough? About four things I want you to get this morning. The first two is really the, the longest, I guess. And the other two kind of just kind of going toward us making a, a decision time at the end of the service. But here's the first thing. We need to think about this morning as we talk about is Jesus enough? When Jesus is the only thing on the menu, not the fish, not the loaves, not whatever else it might be, when Jesus is the only thing on the menu, you discover at that point in time if he's the one that you're really hungry for. When, When he's the only thing that's being offered, when it's not about the spectacle, it's not about the show, it's not about the comforts, it's not about the perks. When it's just Jesus and Him alone, and He's the only thing that's on the menu, when you look at the only thing that's on the menu, that will kind of help you decide if you're really hungry for what's on the menu. You know, most of you know, uh, months ago, I had to change some things pretty uh, drastically because uh, you know, my, my sugar had gone up and the doctor told me I had to change my diet and different things like that. And I had kindly thought, uh, at least for breakfast, I thought I was behaving myself kindly a, a little bit. And I was eating a good quality cereal, not, you know, not, I mean, I wasn't buying the Fruity Loops and that kind of, you know, junk and stuff like that, but good quality cereal and eating it for breakfast. But then when I find out my sugar's going up, you know, even the best quality cereal, guess what it does? It turns to carbohydrates. So the doctor told me to kind of change what I was doing. 
And he told me to, you know, instead just fix some eggs and, and maybe some bacon or some turkey bacon and, uh, you know, put me on a, a, a diet plan. And I just kind of didn't follow it to the 10th degree but because I would have had to own a supermarket to have done that. But I got the gist of it and everything. So in with that, I started maybe sauteing some spinach with some olive oil and, you know, some spices in with it. Go buy my eggs and stuff. And I, I've told people that before and people go, spinach? I mean, I... Uh, we were talking about the other day in, in the office, and Brandy just turned her nose up, you know, our secretary, Spanish, and everything. And then Zach was there, and Zach works in the restaurant. He said, oh, yeah, you take some, you know, take some Spanish and put a little bit of olive oil and spice it right. That's good stuff. So anyway, pretty much the only thing on my menu now for breakfast every day, eggs and turkey bacon and spinach. Now, I, I think for Jared, because sometimes Jared's around when I'm doing that, and Becky's already gone to school, but for Jared, I think it started to get old. <laughs> He's still young enough, I guess, he can get away with stuff, you know, that I can't get away with anymore, and, and what I eat. But you know what I discovered through that change? I discovered that when, even though that's the only thing on the menu, it made me feel better. So in other words, I'm fine every day of the week. I mean, so far I've not been bored with it, but I'm fine every day of the week for it to be the eggs and the bacon and the spinach every day of the week for breakfast because I can tell when I don't do it, I don't feel as well. So it's fine for me that that's the only thing on my menu for breakfast. Now you're wondering, why is he talking about this? Here's why I'm talking about this. As Christians, you and I ought to be fine that Jesus is the only thing on the menu. Because he's what I need. He's what you need. <clears throat> Kyle Eidelman that wrote the book that we based this series on, uh, Not a Fan, and uh, did the movie and things that you've been seeing the video clips from. And if you came and watched the movie uh, on Sunday night when we first started this series uh, that we played here, he, uh, he tells a lot of stories uh, about people in his church that had kind of had to go through some things to where they got to the point that they understood that Jesus is all they really had. And through that process, they figured out Jesus was enough. I'll tell you just a few of his stories, then I'll really tell you some of our own. And I'll also, but uh, he, he was telling a story about, about one uh, man in his church by the name of Ed. And uh, Ed had been an executive in a large company. And all of a sudden, Ed lost his job. Now, you know, some of us would think, man, it'd be tough to lose your job and everything. Ed was knocking it down about a half million dollars a year. <laughs> and he lost that job. I don't know that half million dollar a year jobs are that quick to come by. You understand what I'm saying? And he had never been in that situation in his life. Because of the economy and different things, Ed could not find a job. And he was used to that executive lifestyle. He was used to being self-sufficient. He was used to being able to provide everything that he needed. But through this situation, Ed came to the point that he understood that he wasn't self-sufficient. And all of a sudden, his prayers were not just the foreign prayers that he had been taught as a child. His prayers were heart cries coming out of his soul to God because of the situation that he was in. And through that process, you know what Ed discovered? He discovered that Jesus was really all that he had because everything else can be stripped away from you. We might not like to think about that, but everything you own and everything I own that we think we own, all of it can be gone. And the only thing we really have as believers is Jesus. And Ed discovered it was enough. Another lady in his church that he told a story about, her name was Kathy. Kathy had been married for 20 years, and her husband decided he wanted to be single after 20 years. <clears throat> and she had gone to the same church with him. It was a church they'd kind of gone to all their lives together. But then after the separation and the divorce hit, it was like she was no longer welcomed at that church. And now she's been married for 20 years and her husband just completely walks away and the church that she had been a part of turns her back on her. And she starts showing up at Kyle's church. And for the first time, instead of just showing up at church, 
she started hearing the messages like they were just for her. And she realized, even though he had left her, her husband, and the church had turned its back on her, that Jesus was all she needed. Another man that he told a story about was the name of Bob. His wife, June, who was a very good Christian, was killed in a car wreck, hit by a transfer truck. <clears throat> she was a very good Christian. Bob was not a Christian. Bob would come one Sunday a year on Mother's Day to appease his wife. And then he had sat there like this the whole time. Then Bob has to come for his wife's funeral. And then as Kyle visits in the home later that night, he notices that Bob has out June's Bible and he's been reading it. And a few weeks later, Bob walks the same aisle where his wife's casket was. And in tears, says, I'm ready to receive Christ. That's some of their stories. We got some of our own. I'm not going to tell names, you know, just for obvious reasons and, and things like that. But one lady I thought of this week as I was kind of trying to relive some things that several years ago received Christ as, our, as, as her Savior, as uh, some of our people were out on visitation. And really it was... Uh, uh, really, before we even started uh, this church, some of us were at a, another church at the time, and it was right after 9-11 had happened. And she had been praying that, you know, God, if this stuff is real about you, if you would send somebody by. And some of our members stopped by and led her to the Lord that night. And you see, here's the deal with, with, with trusting Christ as your Savior. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be a rose garden. Because since that time, I've seen her go through failed marriages. Since that time, I've seen her struggle with alcohol addiction and things like that. But I also saw her get everything stripped away through that to where she understood that Jesus was really all that she had and all that she needed. And, and now she's actually involved in another church that she lives closer to but she's wanting to retire from the job that she's been in since she was like 18. And she's getting ready to retire. She wants to do mission work full time. Because she figured out that Jesus is enough. <clears throat> a few weeks back, a man that attends here now had been out of the job for quite a while. And he would got to the point he was just distraught and having some emotional problems as a result of it. And he you know, called and wanted to meet with me. And I was really busy in the process of back and forth between some things, so we just kind of pulled in a parking lot, a place uh, not too far from he was, from where he was, and we sat in his car and we met, and he was just an emotional basket case. He knew Christ as his Savior, he knew that, but he had got to the point that everything was stripped away. And he got to the point that, he, that his prayers weren't form prayers, kind of like I said the other guy a moment ago, and he was praying heartfelt prayers about his situation he got to the point that he understood Jesus was all he had and then on the other side of it Jesus gave him a job but not until he figured out that Jesus was what he really had and that was most important lady that had lived kind of a different lifestyle for years. And started coming, and she had even attended another church to where she was told that that lifestyle is okay. And then started coming here. And while, you know, we've tried to teach you guys that we ought to be open to anybody coming in these doors... I hope you know, I'm going to tell you what the Bible says, and if something's a sin, it's a sin. But she came in and experienced truth with love attached to it and acceptance attached to it. She had already got to such an emotional, distraught part of her life because of her lifestyle and finances and various things, even almost on the verge of being suicidal. But then she realized, you know what, Jesus is what I need. It's not these other relationships. Jesus is what I need. That's most important in my life. Several weeks back, 
she walked up to me. He showed me a stab on her finger to where she had started dating an old boyfriend from high school, and now they're engaged to be married. Now, some of you might not think that's huge, but you've never been trapped in certain lifestyles. I'm going to tell you, that's huge. A young man is on this stage not long ago who had allowed alcohol and drug addiction to ruin his life, to ruin his marriage, to cost him his employment, to cost him his license, almost to cost him his family, to cost him time in jail, got to the point that he figured out Jesus is enough. And it radically turned his life around. <clears throat> this past week, Bethany come over to the house. My youngest daughter. And you know, she was just hanging around, and finally she said, well, she brought me in and said, well, sit down. And then she had her mom to sit down, and I thought, okay, you know, something coming. And then she went on to tell me that the doctor's office that she was uh, working for, had been working for for a year or so now, uh, after she got out of school, having been trained, you know, for that, that uh, the doctor's office she was working for was getting ready to close. And uh, at the end of October, and she's going to be without a job. Bethany bought her first house in June, getting married next month. If I still can't talk some of you guys into hollering somewhere, okay. <laughs> and she had known about it for two weeks and had not told me until then because she was hoping she could tell me bad news and good news. Like, I've lost a job, but I've got a job, but she couldn't that night. And I'm kind of getting on to her a little bit, you know, worried about it and stuff like that. And I'm saying, you should have told me two weeks ago. And she said, but I didn't want to worry you. You should have told me two weeks ago. I bought a motorcycle last week that I wouldn't have bought if I'd known you were getting ready to lose your job, you know. My, I, you know, my children have to come before that stuff. You understand that? I hope that's the way you are. But I woke up the next morning early, and, man, I was just resting about that. Cause I thought, God, I don't want Bethany to lose her house. And I didn't have the finances just to stop it from happening and things like that. So I was kind of at a point that Jesus was all that I had. And I prayed about that morning. Not a form prayer, not a, you know, God's like, I've got another day to live. Later on that night, she called and said, Grace Stone, I cleaned and called her, and she had a job. See, we, sometimes we just have to get, we know that Jesus is all we really have. And, and cry out to him from that standpoint. Instead of it just being about the show or about the spectacle. So I could give you a lot of other stories. We could sit here and just talk about that. I almost did it today. But I could tell you about cancers and divorces and other job loss situations and other issues and problems that people have gone through to where they got to the point that they understood that Jesus was really all that they had. They got to the point that they understood that the spectacle of Sunday morning is not enough for their life. Just coming and having the show is not enough for their life. All that can be stripped away. All that can go away. But finding out that Jesus is really enough. Stories about people that came to the point in their lives that the only thing left on the menu of their life was Jesus Christ. And finding out that's what they needed. That's what they were really hungry for, and that's what they needed to focus on. Finding out that he's the bread that satisfies. Jesus, later on in John chapter 6, we actually looked at this verse near the beginning of this series. He's talking to the crowd, and he's you know, wanting to define where they stand and whether or not he's going to be enough for them, or if they have to have the fish, if they have to have the loaves, if they have to have the other signs and the other miracles. And Jesus has started giving some really, you know, tough talk, like I'm the bread of life, I'm the one that you need, I'm the one that you need to eat. If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you know, you, know, you can't inherit the kingdom of heaven, that kind of stuff. He wasn't talking about cannibalism, he was talking about spiritually, Jesus being enough, spiritually feeding upon him. And the crowd listened to it, and they thought, that's not for us. And they turned, and they walked away. They'd been hanging around just for kind of the perks, instead of it really being about 
about the relationship. John chapter 6, verse 66 says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. By the way, don't go off and start your own denomination on this, but will you look at that verse reference? Isn't that strange? 666. People walking away from Jesus. I'll stop. Somebody will go ahead and start a 666 denomination next week if I mess with that much. You see, the, they were just fans, and they turned and they walked away. And the truth of the matter is, whether we like it or not, the Bible tells us that wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many people are on that path. That's what the Bible tells us. And whether we like it or not, that means that there's a whole lot of people that are just fans. There are a whole lot of people that's not making it to heaven. There are a whole lot of people that Jesus is not enough for, and they have to have all the other stuff and that's what they're trusting in, all the other stuff and not just Jesus. And after those walk away, because they, they kind of like the idea of maybe heaven or miracles or bread and the, you know, the free show, the fish and all the stuff like that, but Jesus kind of you know, wipes the table clean and just offers him himself and they're not interested and the crowd walks away. And after that, Jesus turned to his 12 disciples the ones that were closest to him. In verse 67, and Jesus said this, after he'd just seen all the others walk away, Jesus said, do you want to go away as well? It's almost like it's an open invitation. That's why I told you at the first of this series, the first Sunday, I used that same verse. I said, it's like Jesus saying, here's your time. Here's your opportunity. If you're going to go, go. You're going to leave also? Not like he's begging them to stay. He didn't beg the crowd to stay. He said, you know, are you going to leave too? And maybe Jesus said it with some sadness because he'd just seen the crowd walk away. Or maybe he said it with a little bit of brokenness because they walked away. Or maybe he said it maybe with a little bit of, a little bit of anger because all those had just turned and walked away. I think probably he said it like this. I think he said it like a challenge. And he extended a challenge to them. It's like a, a you know, a, a pivotal moment in their life a pivotal moment in their walk with Jesus am I going to be enough for you or are you just interested in following me as long as the crowds are following me am I going to be enough for you or are you just interested in following me as long as I you know whip up the miracles and the fish and the and the food and stuff like that think about it like this let's say that you met somebody that you wanted to date and you ask them out for a date, and they accept it, and you took them out to a movie, and you buy the ticket for them, and then you go inside the movie theater, and you go up and you buy the, the popcorn, you know, and the candy, and the drinks, and everything like that, and, uh, and everything. And somebody, you know, in case any of you are thinking, well, that's not much to do for somebody. Have you bought that stuff in the theater lately? You go eat at a five-star restaurant for what you can pay for the popcorn, the candy, the drinks. So you go and do all that, go in and... Watch the movie. You've paid for everything. You have a good time. The person you're dating seems to have a good time. So, you know, you decide to ask them out again. And this time you step it up a little bit. This time you decide to take them to a really nice restaurant and, you know, really good food. And once again, you pay for all the bill and everything else. And you keep doing that. And you just, you know, kind of step it up a little bit and have exciting things to do. And you keep asking this person out and then you ask them out and tell them look I want to take you on a really special date because in your heart you've decided that you've bought into this relationship yourself and you want to find out if they have so you just take them out to a park this time and set them down on a park bench and you start pouring out your heart and how much you care and how much you kind of hope they care and you're just you know just pouring yourself out to them and all of a sudden in the midst of it they kind of interrupt you and say is this all the day's going to be about? When are we going to do something fun? Now, how would that make you feel? To figure out they were just hanging out with you because you were footing the bill and they were getting to do something fun and it wasn't about you. You know, maybe that gives us a little bit of a picture of how Jesus feels sometimes. 
when we make it all about the perks that we can get, what He can do for us, instead of it just being about Him. About knowing Him and loving Him and Him being enough for our lives. And He kind of invited those disciples to just walk away if they wanted to walk away. But we're told what their response is in John chapter 6, verse 68 through 69. Simon Peter answered him and said this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, as far as Peter was concerned, Peter's saying, Jesus, I'm fine with that. You don't have to fix the fish and the loaves. I'm fine with it just being about you. I'm fine with you being the bread of life. I'm fine if the crowds walk away and you're not as popular anymore and we're not as popular because we're hanging out with you as this popular Jesus going around doing the miracles. Peter more or less said, look, we've decided, we have seen, we know who you are, we're all in. We have decided that we're going to follow you. Where else can we go? And you see, that's the issue that we're really talking about this morning is Jesus enough for you if everything else were to be stripped away the stuff you enjoy at church the show at church the stuff that you like to pursue in your life your hobbies your wealth your health whatever it is if everything else were stripped away. Is Jesus enough for you? Second thing I want you to get this morning is this. When you really know Jesus as Lord, you don't want to leave Him. When you, as a follower of Christ, not a fan, not somebody that's just the end of the show and you walk away, when Jesus starts making it just about Him, when you really know Jesus as Lord, like these disciples did that we see here in the the scripture that I just read, because we're going to read it again. When you really know Jesus as Lord, you don't want to walk off. You don't want to leave Him. It doesn't matter if the fish and the loaves are not there now. You don't want to walk off. It doesn't matter that other people have walked off. You don't want to walk off because you know who He is. Once again, Simon Peter said this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. It's like he's just asking this question, Jesus, where in the world can we go? And that like opens up the door for thousands of other questions, like, you know, who can lead us like you, Jesus? Who can love us like you, Jesus? Who can care for us like you, Jesus? Who can teach us like you, Jesus? Who can draw us closer to God like you do, Jesus? Who can give us the kind of wisdom that you do, Jesus? There's all kinds of questions that come up with that. To whom shall we go? Peter was saying there's nowhere else that we could go. We'll never, ever find anybody else like you. And you see, that's what a follower does. But somebody that's just a fan of Jesus, somebody that's just showing up for the show, when the teaching starts to get tough, those people will walk away. Jesus offered himself not a show, not a free meal. And when that happens, the fans will quit hanging around. When Jesus says, listen, If you're going to follow me, it's about self-denial. You've got to take up your cross and follow me. If you're going to follow me, it's about putting me first, not your own desires first, not your own wants first. When Jesus started defining the relationship like that, the fans decided that it was time to walk away. Remember the scenario, the illustration I gave a minute ago? You bought the popcorn. You bought the candy, you bought the drinks, you bought the tickets, you bought the meal, you've taken them out on the date, you've been paying the price of it and everything else. And then what if they acted like you're not enough? You see, to be honest with you, here's the true part about that Jesus has paid the price. Amen. Jesus paid the ticket for us, He shed His blood on the cross that through Him you and I can have everlasting life. 
Jesus staked his all to where we can stake faith upon him. Jesus said, look, I'm laying it all on the line, all that I am. I'm laying it out there. I'm going to sacrifice myself. I'm going to die for your sins. I'm going to shed my blood. I want you to trust in me and follow me. It needs to be about me, not about all the other stuff. Jesus paid for it with his blood so we can follow him. And while fans will walk away, followers figure out that Jesus is worth staying with. Followers figure out that Jesus is worth walking with and not ever turning away from. They are not looking at it from this standpoint. A real follower of Jesus should not be looking at it. Jesus, what else can I get out of the deal? When's the next fish? When's the next loaf? When's the next meal? When's the next scheduled show? When's the next miracle? Someone that's a real follower of Jesus ought to be looking at it like this. Jesus, because of what you did for me, what is it that you can get out of my life? You understand the difference in that? You understand how much in our lives we make it about Him? How little we make it about Him a lot of the times and how much we make it about what we want? If, it, if it's really all about Him, why then sometimes do we make choices that's walking away from Him? If we're really going to make it about Him and follow Him, why, are we, why is it so easy for us to decide, I know this is not right for my life, but I'm doing it anyway? Fans will turn and they'll walk away. But someone that understands all that Jesus has done for them, that person as a follower, a committed follower, does not want to turn away and walk away from Jesus. You see, I'm kind of convinced of this. If our actions were fully attached to what we say we believe about Jesus, I just think our church would be different, our community would be different, our homes would be different, our lives would be different if we would fully buy into what we say we believe about Jesus. It would change our world. Because we wouldn't be satisfied just showing up on Sunday morning. We wouldn't be satisfied just saying, I know Jesus and I'm going to heaven. If we really bought into everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus has done for us and how he suffered for us and all the promises he gives us through faith in him, if we would really buy into that, then I think we would just act completely different than we do. Here's the problem, I think, and why we don't do that. The problem is, is this. We don't know the way we wish. And this might sound strange, so let me, let me explain it for you a little bit. We don't know the way we wish, so we don't believe the way we should. We don't know the way we wish, so we don't believe the way we should. Now, that might sound a little bit difficult or a little bit strange. You're trying to figure out what in the world does that mean. I, what I mean by the first part of that is this. We, we don't absolutely know everything as much as we wish we could know it, do we? I mean, there's plenty of evidence for Jesus being Lord. But can you and I conclusively, I mean like an equation or something, mathematically prove it out? I mean, we, we kindly wish we could know everything, don't we? We kindly wish we could see the full story. We kindly wish God would write it in the sky or something or send an angel to tell us or speak out of heaven to where we would hear it. And since that's not the realm that we're in, Maybe we don't believe as fully as we should or don't act upon our faith as fully as we should because maybe there's still a, you know, a little bit of doubt about some things there because we can't know it all. We can't see it all with our eyes. Now please understand me. I'm fully convinced and I think probably a lot of you are too based on our faith in Jesus. Amen? But logically speaking, we can't prove it with a scientific equation. We can't prove it by having seen it with our eyes. And I think that's why some people, whether they want to admit it or not, struggle sometimes 
with following Jesus as fully as they should because they can't know it all for sure. You think it's probably true for us? And we will make excuses saying if it was just all laid out, if I could hear, if I could know. But you see, that's not the way life is. That's not the way it was for the disciples either, necessarily. You'll use this excuse, and I'll use this excuse. Well, if I could have been there with the disciples, if I could have seen the loaves multiplied and the fish multiplied, if I could have seen Jesus walk on water, if I could have seen Jesus raise the dead, if I could have seen this, can I point out something to you? The crowd had seen the miracles also, and the crowd walked away. But it was a defining moment for the disciples of Jesus as they are there, and the crowd's walking away. It was a moment to where they decided in that moment in time they had a choice to make. They're going to believe that he's who they think he is based upon the evidence that they've seen. Based upon their experience with him, they're going to believe that he's really the Messiah and they're going to follow him. Or they could be like the rest of the crowd who, by the way, saw the miracles too, and yet they turned and they walked away. And instead, the disciples decided and made the choice that they were going to follow Jesus and stay with him. And that's... That's what I'm wanting to challenge you about in this point, in the very next point, is simply this. We can't know it all to the 10th degree. It's not spelled out for us like a map. I don't know what's going to happen to me tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen to you tomorrow. We don't know what we'll face. I can't prove, I mean, it's by faith. I can't prove to you. In a logical way right now, there's no way I can logically, scientifically prove to you that God became man, died on a cross, and took his life back up on the third day. But you see, it's not about our logic, it's about faith. And the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. If it were about the logic, then what we'd be doing, we'd be trusting in our own logic. When it's about the faith, we're trusting in what God tells us. We're exercising faith in Him, not our own ability to understand, not our own ability to figure it out, not our own ability to rationalize it out in some way. And what we need to do is choose the same way the disciples did. It comes to the point that we're going to choose to move from being a fan to being a follower or if we're just going to hang out being comfortable as a, as a fan. Check out the video clip. Hebrews 9.27 says, Man is destined to die once, and after that to face the judgment. Those are the two guarantees. We will all die and we will all stand before God. When that moment comes to all of us, there is only one question that will really matter. Is have you decided to follow Jesus? If I could, I would ask you that question differently because it's very personal. I wish I could come over to your house and knock on your door. Hopefully I could talk you into letting me come in and sit down for a few minutes. And I would want to sit across the kitchen table from you and look you in the eye and ask you this question. I know that when you hear me ask, have you decided to follow Jesus, many of you quickly nod your head yes and say, yeah, I'm a follower. But why do you say that? Because I'm not asking if your parents were followers. I'm not asking if you've prayed a prayer. I'm not asking if you say grace before meals or if you come to church. I'm not even asking if you believe in Jesus. I am asking, are you a follower of Jesus? Because one day there are many who say, I am a follower that will stand before God and be declared fans. Some of you that did not participate in the small groups have not seen the whole movie or whatever. You may wonder, well, what's going on with that young lady? Her dad had been someone that was just a fan in the movie, and then because of heart attacks and things like that in his life, he realized that his life was not about the right stuff, and he became a sold-out follower of Jesus. 
she's wrestling now. Her dad has now died with a second heart attack in the movie, and she's standing there reflecting upon the transition she had seen happen in her dad's life. Previous to that, she would have thought of herself as a pretty good Christian. Her mom would have thought of herself as a pretty good Christian. They went to church. Their dad wasn't even going all the time. Their dad, to start with, seemed like he had a lot less faith than they did. But then when their dad realized he had to give over fully to following Jesus, it's like they were backing up on it. No, it'll cost us too much. And he said, we, we're going to sell our house. He changed his job, lost his job because of a moral stance that he made. He completely changed his life, started working at a soup kitchen, sold a huge mansion they were living in, downsized. His family had to wrestle through all that and see their dad move from being a fan to being a follower of Jesus. And that's what that video clip displayed. It showed that girl wrestling in herself about where she stood, whether she was just a fan or whether she was really a follower. You and I can never, ever completely have it all figured out. It cannot be just about the show. It cannot be just about the spectacle. Because to be honest with you, we don't have the same spectacle here that they had. I don't get to see Jesus do those miracles in the same way to literally see him standing there in the flesh. So that, that challenges our faith. But what I want to close with is, is for you to think about this. While we don't know the schedule of all the events in our life, we don't know everything that's going to happen in our lives. We don't know the day that Jesus is going to come back. We don't know when we might lose a job ourselves or when our health will go out the door. We don't know the day we'll die we don't know any of that stuff. We don't know the schedule of events in our lives, but here's the thing that we can know. We can know Jesus. And we will chase after and waste time and struggle and get depressed and everything else, worrying about and chasing after all the things that we can't fully know to start with. And then we minimize spending our time in the way we should, which is getting to know Jesus, helping others know Jesus, and serving Jesus. While we try and figure all the other stuff out. I mean, churches and groups can get together and have prophecy conferences and try and figure out and look in the Bible and look at you know, numerical theology and everything else under the sun, trying to figure out when Jesus will come back. And while they're doing all that, trying to figure out something they can't know anyway, people are dying and going to hell. We, we worry about stuff that we cannot fully know. But you and I can know Jesus. So I'm just putting before you, where should our focus be? I mean, is, is Jesus really enough for our lives? To be honest with you, Jesus is all that I really have and all that you really have. As much as I love my family, my family could be gone. As much as I love my wife, I told my son this week, just talking about dating and things like that, that you need to be sure you really choose well because I am self-aware enough of probably my tendencies. Had I not chosen well and God had somebody like Becky for me, I might have gone a completely different direction and you never would have seen me up here on the stage. And in tears, I told my son this week as we were talking about things like that because I'd had to deal with somebody else that was having some major relational problems in a, in a family setting, in a situation, and trying to counsel with him. And in that same day, I had to tell my son how thankful I am that I married Becky. But you see, as much as I value Becky, there's no guarantees in life. Becky could walk away from me. The only guarantee in life I have is my relationship with Jesus. The only guarantee in life you have is your relationship with Jesus. That's why even though we can't know all this other stuff, we can know Him. That's why we need to focus upon knowing Him and be sure that we know Him. I don't think anyone here today will want to hear Jesus in a day of judgment say this, Depart from me, I never knew you. 
No one's here wanting to hear that. Everyone here probably wants to go to heaven one day. No one wants to think about one day Jesus may say that, even though you thought you'd been really busy with religion and rules and everything else, and you were saying with Jesus, but I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. You all let me into heaven. And Jesus says, I don't even know who you are. That's why we need to come to the point that we understand that Jesus is enough. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 tells us this. And there's salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now that narrows it down quite a bit, doesn't it? There's salvation in no one else. So, you know, by your rules or by religion, you're not working your way to heaven. For there's no other name, (laughs) so there's nobody more important, whether it be your boss or your parents or your spouse or some affection or whatever it might be. No one's more important. No other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It doesn't say you can be and possibly some other way you can be saved. The only alternative we have is Jesus. So that's why I'm just, I'm just asking you at the end of this series where we've talked so much about whether we're just a fan of Jesus or we're really a follower of Jesus. That's why we're closing out today by just simply asking this question. Is Jesus enough for you? And if you've not settled that, if you don't know that Jesus is enough for you, I would not leave this place today without doing some business with God. If, if you have defined your relationship with Jesus being what Jesus can do for you, the miracles and everything else, the show, the sign, you know, getting to come to church, maybe seeing a spectacle, hear a good song, whatever it might be that might take place. If that's how you're defining your relationship with God, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to judge you. Understand me. I'm concerned for you. and I'm even concerned for my own heart. That doesn't get it. Those things are enough because those things can disappear. The only thing that I have in my life that can never, ever disappear is my relationship with Jesus. And if you already know him as your Savior, the only thing you have in your life that can never disappear is your relationship with Jesus. And that's why, seriously, today, you need to ask yourself that question. You know, is Jesus enough? Have you decided to answer the call of Jesus to follow you? He extends the call to follow you. Have you decided to answer it? Have you decided to kind of say, like Peter said, well, where else can I go, you know? I mean, where in the world else can I go? Who else is there? You're the one that has the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you're the Holy One sent from God. There's nowhere else for me to go. So a serious question for us today at the end of this service is simply this. Is Jesus enough for you? Listen to the question. I did not say, is Jesus enough? You want to know why I didn't say, is Jesus enough right then? Because I know he's enough. I'm asking you, is Jesus enough for you? He's enough. He's sufficient. But is he enough for you? If everything else were stripped away in your life, if everything else were gone, if it were all ripped away, is Jesus enough for you? And if you just previously said yes real quick, why do we walk off from him? I said we. I'm human too. Why do we walk off from him? Why do we choose to do that sometimes that we know is not his will? Why do we walk off from him if he's really enough? See, he is enough. And since he is enough, our response ought to be to follow him as closely as we possibly can. And the best that we can as the Holy Spirit of God equips us that we don't walk away from him. I guess maybe ask the question more clearly because I know we're human and we do make mistakes, we do sin, we do fall short. But can I ask you this, does it bother you when you do? Does it bother you when you've walked away from Jesus Or are you kindly fine with it, you know? 
Does, does it really bother you when you make wrong choices in your life, or are you okay with it? I've had a long week. I've had a little bit of a tough week because somebody that I've known for a long time, doesn't matter who it is, but you just need to understand the situation, that I've known for a long time, and that I love as much as probably a family member. And I know what this person believes. And yet they're at a point in their life right now they can say, I know this is wrong. And I know the Bible says I shouldn't do it. But I'm going to do it anyway. Now we do that sometimes by the choices we make. But for somebody to verbalize that, it scares me to death for that person. And you don't fully know my heart, and I don't fully know all of your hearts. And I'm not, you know, the, the person, I'm, I'm not trying, they're not here. I'm not trying to make them feel uncomfortable. You don't know who they are or anything else. I'm just telling you where my heart is right now. And if I had my choice this morning, I would have thrown the sermon away probably, but God wouldn't let me do it. And I would just kind of pour my heart out a little bit about some of that. But as clearly and as compassionately as I can ask you, do you know that Jesus is enough for you? Well, if I could see the signs, if I could have seen all the miracles, listen. You have. I have. I've seen changed lives. That Jesus, by his gospel and his love, has transformed and changed. I have seen changed lives, and so have you. You have the miracle to look at. You have the sign, all the sign that you need to see, and that is that Jesus changes lives. So as the band gets ready to play, as we have a prayer, and you reflect in your own heart this morning, your own life, and Allow the Holy Spirit to ask you, is Jesus really enough? I mean, do you know that without any doubt? If everything else were stripped back, if everything else were gone, I'm not saying it'd be fun, but I'm saying you know Jesus is enough, and you have him, and you can make it because you have him. And if you can't say that, please, don't leave today without getting that fixed in your life to where you know Jesus is enough. Let's pray. Father, I'm fully aware that you know each heart in each life. All I ask right now is that you ask each one if they know that you're enough, that Jesus is enough, that they know that they have chosen to follow you and they're not just some kind of fan. And Father, if they cannot truly say that this morning, help them right now to be willing in their heart to be honest with you, admit to you that they've not allowed Jesus to be enough in their lives. And have them make a commitment today to follow Jesus. Father, help them even to be willing to step out from where they are and come to the front of this place. Saying that they want to follow Jesus, that they want to know for sure. <clears throat> Lord, I pray for believers right now that as I have, Lord, sometimes we've, even though we know you're enough, sometimes we've not allowed you to be enough. We've depended upon other things or we've 
made wrong choices and we've walked away from you. Father, I pray right now that you'd also deal with our lives as those that are trying to follow you. And God, if we've got issues and things in our lives that are keeping us from following you as close as we should, help us to deal with those now. To confess those before you and to drop those and follow you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The band plays, God speaks to your heart. I invite you to come. You are listening to sermon audio from Basement Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com.